Sorry about the little delay. Had some technical difficulties here this morning, and uh, I couldn't do anything about it, so I just had to wait it out, as did you, and I'm glad and thankful uh, that you waited it out together uh, with me. We are in Luke chapter uh, 10, and we are down uh, beyond uh, verse 24. We're down to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Jesus speaking about uh, prayer and servanthood and caring for others and things of that nature. Friends, the point of what we're doing here is to learn to live the Christ life. And I just want you to know that there is so much in our world, and and even, even among Christianity, that even conspires against living the Christ life. Um, it's just true. Sometimes the infighting that takes place among Christians is is very saddening. Uh, Sometimes, uh, you know, the focus on money is saddening. Sometimes the focus of greed can be saddening. Uh, Sometimes uh, the the preeminence of Christ playing second or third or fourth fiddle to everything else in life when everything in life should come under his lordship. Uh, I mean... 
things conspire against us living the Christ life. Our enemy conspires against us living the Christ life. Now, now when I say the Christ life, just exactly what am I meaning? I, I'm meaning to live the life that Jesus intends for us to live. And that is a life that is for him. That is a life that is like him. Uh, that is a life that goes corresponds with his character and with his priorities. And uh, there's so much that calls us away from it. And to learn how to live in the rhythm of Christ's life and to learn how to say no to certain things so that we can live the Christ life, that that is the call of the Christian life. And uh, that's the point. And, and we're going through this study looking at the life of Christ, trying to see what we can glean from his life and how it applies to our life, both in how he lived his life as well as in his teachings. Uh, if he is the one to whom we subscribe as Lord, then we would be interested in his teachings and what does he say and what does that mean to us and what impact does uh, that have upon us. So let me get us into Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. See, here we go. I mean, there are those who want to test us, who want to test the faith, who want to test uh, how we live and particularly wanted to test Jesus because Jesus stood in opposition to so much of what they stood for. So on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And friends, that that is a question even today. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, there are all kinds of different things that we could talk about in terms of inheriting eternal life. Uh, We could we could talk about um, our works. We could talk about our contributions. We could talk about how nice we are. We could talk about the fact that we're generally loving people. Um, I had a conversation with somebody on Sunday, and we were just talking about you know uh, situations where there have been people that have been uh, incarcerated. People like Jeffrey Dahmer would be an example. If you remember that name who, I don't even remember how many people he killed uh, in all of his antics, but it was vile, it was evil. But in jail, uh, he he came to faith in Christ. And uh, there was a conversation being taking place, might have been between James Dobson and someone else, or Jim Daly and someone else uh, from the... Uh, family and a focus uh, group, and the conversation went something like, so you mean that my nice little grandmother, who's been basically a decent person all of her life, will be withheld from heaven, and someone heinous like Jeffrey Dahmer would make it into heaven? Yes. We're not, we don't gain access by living a good life. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't live a good life. That's not to say that we shouldn't, uh, uh, that's not to say that we shouldn't try to do things that are honorable and good and kind and caring and compassionate and and things of that nature. He's not saying that at all. Um, we should. We should seek to, to live moral lives. But all of us are sinners. Uh, all of us are exempted from heaven, save for the grace of God, save for faith in Jesus Christ. So there are people who will pursue uh, reincarnation, which which isn't 
eternal life, just for the record. Uh, there are people who will pursue uh, Buddhist practices, Baha'i practices, Hindu practices, Islamic practices, all kinds of other practices in the quest for eternal life. And this expert in the law is asking the same question of Jesus. Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, what's written in the law? How do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Notice, heart, soul, strength, and mind. Uh, This man gives four factors. The factor of the emotions, the factor of the self, meaning your soul, the factor of your strength, the energy that you put into loving God, and with your mind, your mental faculties, the, the, the thoughts you think about God. And then it says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I mean, we could stop right there, and, and that is enough to encompass us in our day-to-day, enough to encompass us in our lives today. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. That is a tall order, is it not? And that should have our highest priority, learning how to love God. And yet we think, we do think, and we do live sometimes like, you know, uh, finances are the total priority. Uh, We do live sometimes like career is the total priority. Uh, We do live sometimes uh, like even family is the total priority, and every one of those things is important, and the most valuable of all of those, I I would argue, is family, but faith is even greater. Faith should instruct all of those other areas of life. Faith and and our obedience to the Lord, our love for the Lord, uh, should be impacted in in how we think, uh, in how we live, uh, in uh, how we behave um, by love for Christ. And love for the things of God, love for the person of God, love for the Son of God. We, we should be impacted uh, in all those ways. Luke 10, 27. It really sums up life when he says this. When he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. That is the spiritual part of us loving God. And then loving your neighbor as yourself, and and to love your neighbor as yourself uh, is is to give them the better. To love the na- love your neighbor as yourself is to meet a need. To love your neighbor as yourself is to render care. And Jesus is going to go on and and describe this to us in this passage that we're going to look at. Uh, that's a part of the text that we're reading for today. So let's continue. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Do this perfectly and you will live. I mean, the implication is that if one would do this perfectly, they would inherit eternal life. We don't do it perfectly. Therefore, we don't inherit eternal life apart from faith. It says this in verse 29, the man wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, 
who is my neighbor? Thinking, well, okay, my neighbor, that's somebody down the street, that's somebody in some other place, that is somebody, and uh, so that is what he is asking him, who is my neighbor? Jesus responds. The man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, look at this, a priest happened to be going down the same road. You could put in there a pastor happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, let me put this at the top of the page for us. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. Now, you would think that the priest would have done this. You would think uh, that the Levite would have done this. Levites were were those in in the order of priestly duties, uh, spiritual duties, the the, the spiritual oversight of of the people. And so you would think that a priest would do this. You would think that a Levite, that they would do this. You know, sometimes uh, clergy gets too good for its britches and uh, too high and mighty. Now, I don't know that that is so much true in our day, uh, but certainly 60, 70, 80, 90 years ago, uh, you would see much of that, and probably even more recent times within the last 50, within the last 40 years, uh, as we have denigrated uh, away in time into the 21st century. Uh, and into the the 2020s, uh, we have come a long way from that type of uh, action and attitude on the part of some clergy. I mean, clergy doesn't even have respect uh, in culture as it once did. But much to its own fault, because it, it it too often has been like the Levite. It's too often been like the priest that didn't take pity on the person. Now the Samaritans actually were like the enemies of the Jews. They didn't get along. You remember we talked about in John chapter uh, 4 how Jesus uh, how Jesus had to go through Samaria. The Jews took the bypass around Samaria most often because they didn't get along. But here's a Samaritan stopping, and the implication here is perhaps he's stopping to help a Jewish person. So a person that is even the very enemy stopping to help somebody on their enemy list. Continue reading. Verse 33 said, A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then the man, uh, he put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Now, that, that is actually quite a bit of money in that day. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. He made a deposit, if you will. He said, 
do whatever you need to do. I, I will settle accounts with you when I come back. Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell in the hand of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, he asked the question, the man wanted to trick Jesus and say, who is my neighbor? I mean, the implication being being able to say, well, you know, my neighbor is a person who lives next door. Friend, your neighbor can be your enemy. Uh, friend, your neighbor can be a stranger. Uh, we we sometimes, in fact, there was one of our one of our family here, the Veracity family, who asked the question. Well, just ask this very question: Who is my neighbor? You know, what what's the implication of this? Somebody that I know, somebody that lives next door. Uh, I mean, in, in the strictest of senses, yes, that would be your neighbor. But Jesus basically is saying anybody can be your neighbor. Another human being can be your neighbor, and that is for whom you need to care. He asked the question, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell in the hand of robbers? Neighbor isn't about uh, geographic location. Uh, being neighborly is is a state of heart. It's a state of mind. It's a state of action then that follows through to take care of somebody who uh, who has fallen victim, like this man has fallen victim, who has this need. And uh, you know, do we always have time all the time to stop for every situation? Not always, but sometimes there's something you come across that is dire, that is difficult, that, that uh, could be life-saving, and sometimes we, we pass on by um, when perhaps God has for us a divine appointment. Jesus told him, go and do likewise, learning to be the good Samaritan. Uh, that, that is what the Lord is looking for uh, from us. He's looking for us to be that good Samaritan who demonstrates care to, to people who, uh, who we might otherwise bypass. But there's that need, and, and this is the thing that we do uh, that will honor Christ, is demonstrate that type of care, that type of consideration. Uh, this, is, this is what loving people is all about, and and often what we have done with it is we have made it a, a situation wherein we, um, limit ourselves to, uh, people who, who maybe aren't, uh, who are only our, our closest of kin and, uh, this, this perhaps is not what the Lord is looking for, learning to be neighborly to anybody in need. That's what the Lord is getting at. That's what he's talking about here and uh, uh, learning to live this way. It started out, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Love God. And part of our love for God is demonstrating our love for people. If we say we love God but do not also love people, then we really don't love God. Uh, you go into First John uh, in the third and fourth chapters, John will delineate those realities to us. He'll say, if you say you love God but, but hate your brother, the love of God is not in you. 
we need to have the love of God strengthened in us that we might demonstrate that we do belong to God. Now, this passage continues on looking at two sisters, and uh, we know their names, and there's an example from their lives that we will draw out here this morning. It says, as Jesus' disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. <clears throat> but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What's going on here? Very simple. Uh, Martha opened the home. She's the one that invited Jesus in the first place. Mary didn't invite Jesus. Martha did. Kind of her fault. She said, Jesus, come visit us in our home. And yet it says that in verse 40, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, why don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And, and rather than the Lord going, yeah, you're right. You know, Mary ought to be out there in the kitchen helping you, and she ought to be helping you cook and cut the onions and and, uh, you know, cut the leeks and, and you know, uh, prepare the meat and make the bread. And she had to be out there. That isn't, that isn't at all what Jesus does. Jesus says this to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. What was she doing? Back in verse 39, it said, she sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Let me ask you a question. Who do you more closely identify with, Martha or Mary? Are you the person who's worried about all the details? Are you the person who was high-strung and would rather, you know, uh, get varieties of work done uh, than be with the Lord? Or are you Mary? Now, the fact is, sometimes there are people who are sitting on their haunches that need to be serving. I don't want to say that that isn't true. Uh, people do need to step up. To, people do, do need to be engaged. People do need to be involved. Yes. But the, the greater priority is to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from Jesus and be strengthened by Jesus and learn to be like Jesus. So rather than Jesus uh, chiding Mary, he chides Martha because she is upset and worried about many things. Now, you know, you've heard the saying, and it's, it's a little bit of a derogatory saying, but it's close enough for government work, or here's another one, can't see it from the, from the road, it looks great, or can't see it from the road. You know, sometimes we put a lot of energy and effort into a minor detail. Now, now the argument can be given, yes, we should do everything we do, uh, working as unto the glory of God, do it with our best effort. We, we can make that argument. Yes, we can. 
But when when that argument begins to sink into our soul so that we lose the Spirit's control over our lives and begin to have diminished fruit of the Spirit, perhaps we've crossed the line into something that really is for the glory of God to now something that detracts from the glory of God. Do you get what I'm saying? I hope that that makes sense. I mean, uh, when, we, when we begin to get angsty, we begin to be, become impatient, when we begin to become unkind, we begin to become uh, many of those things, um, and we don't have the fruit of the Spirit in our life, we have now gone beyond the Spirit. We have, we're no longer walking with the Spirit, and, uh, and we need to learn to monitor those types of things. I talked to somebody the other day that was talking about a conversation with somebody, and uh, they said they've learned just to zip their lips and walk away rather than say something that they should not say. And uh, for us to learn that type of approach to say, you know, I just need to walk away from this before I say something that I really shouldn't say. To be under the Spirit's control, to be consumed with, with, with concern for the glory of God, but even more than that, and, and those of you that listen on a regular basis, I mean, you're people who get up, we look at the Word of God, we're studying the Word of God, uh, and we can make application of the Word of God. Uh, I would say in that sense, you are now sitting at the feet of Jesus. Not that I am Jesus, but the Word of God is, is Jesus' Word, and we're, we're looking at what Jesus had to say to Mary and to Martha and and. So in that sense, we are all sitting together at the feet of Jesus. And so I want to give you, I, I want to commend you in that. But, you know, when we get into our day, uh, we can get all worked up over many things. And uh, I, I want in my life, uh, I had a conversation yesterday, I want the core of my life to be Jesus-centric. I want the core of my life and of my ministry uh, whatever that looks like, to be one that is always drawing people back to Jesus and, and into the type of life that we are called to live. Uh, hopefully I inspire you toward that. Hopefully I encourage you toward that. Hopefully I provide insight into that. Today, as you think about it, two different uh, illustrations were used. The, the illustration of the Good Samaritan May we be good Samaritans today should, should that uh, occasion arise before us. And may we be like Mary today, learning to sit at the feet of Jesus, to take in his presence, to take in his words, to take in his character, to take in his nature, to be like him. In those ways, we will glorify God. We began today saying, how, much, how do I inherit eternal life? For anybody that's listening, I just want to encourage you that if you've never trusted in Christ, that today would be the day that you say, I understand. I, I, I make Jesus my Savior. I, I entrust my eternal destination to him. I, I give my life to him. I, I, I want to encourage you uh, to, to take that very step, that very action, to do that very thing and make Christ your Savior today. For the rest of us to know him, let's walk with him. Let's glorify him. Anyone who claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Let's walk with him today to bring him glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, that's a wrap for today. I'm going to let you go, and uh, I will 
Lord willing, we don't have technical issues. We will see you again tomorrow. Have a great day, everyone.